So I thought uh, to begin this evening, uh, I would read to you a little uh, humor to get your, I guess, your funny bone moving here. And I think it has to, uh, for me, has a lot to do with uh, uh, just this uh, last year and realizing that uh, I'm aging. So uh, there may be a few of you here. May uh, Can you hear me in the back there? Is it uh, possibly, is it okay now? I mean, my voice, okay, I can always put this up a little higher. Is that better? Okay, we'll, we'll try this, okay. It's uh, from uh, The Cat in the Hat, and it's on aging. I cannot see, I cannot pee, I cannot chew, I cannot screw. Oh my God, what can I do? <laughs> my memory shrinks, my hearing stinks. No sense of smell, I look like hell. <laughs> my mood is bad, can you tell? My body's drooping, have trouble pooping. The golden years have come at last. The golden years can kiss my ass. <laughs> we need a little of that. Irreverence. So um, I'd like to, before I begin here, um, go back to uh, what uh, Eugene was uh, talking about as this uh, practice of actually uh, bringing the attention again, uh, using uh, most, uh, really highest percentage is about our awareness and just staying in the body as we listen and stay connected in a sense, not just to the words itself, but to actually our wholeness of how do we sit and uh, keep the continuity of this awareness and allow, in the sense, the words, the flow of whatever is uh, kind of peering to uh, allow it to be there without having to connect or chew on it in some way, but just let it kind of flow through in some, some way. Also, Gil mentioned this uh, the first evening about uh, the really the, the truth of there's the desire uh, for, and that uh, we continuously are somehow uh, uh, connecting with what's, in a sense, is always in movement, is not possible to hold in any way. And yet at the same time, this, uh, there's also this, this healthy uh, truth that uh, there is this um, it is uh, this, I, I don't know, sometimes it may not desire, but this longing for, uh, uh, for this uh, practice of uh, full embodiment, full connection, full awakening. And also this simple truth that, uh, you know, uh, we want to help in some way, uh, kind of this deep sense of... Uh, that if we connect with ourselves, we're connecting with everything else. 
So I wrote you a poem today, and I realized, you know, I spent all my time doing this. It's sort of the way last night, one of the things Sharda said just before she spoke, she said, oh, my palms are sweaty. So uh, this is my palms are sweaty, uh, how I uh, kind of uh, allow myself to uh, engage uh, with you in some way. So... First of all, I just, uh, I thought, New Year's, you know, and this, uh, and uh, I just quoted this hard, hard year. Quietly listening, the mist in the valley, that stillness, before the tears of the sky draw us inward, further and further towards a point within the circle. Noticing the trembling of self, jumping from ideas, thoughts, images, deliberating on, quote, my way or the highway. Always enforcing this becoming. Some fabulous view of this thing called myself. Letting life get smaller and smaller, tighter and tighter. Oops. Forgetting, forgetting the rain and the way the hawk flaps its wings without moving above our valley, knowing its eyes were holding everything. Awake, returning to the breath, leaving all this hope and fear past and future, to sit in the echoes of this, this unfabricated. I knew we could arrive, no longer pushing for future, no longer mingling with the past, no longer clutching to things undone or even done, but resting. Remembering to sit like the ocean, unmoved by its waves. Thoughts, bodies, mumbles, heart throbs. All this encircled and included. The meditation hall, full of meditators, was completely empty. Heart sings. The meditation hall, full of meditators, was completely empty. Heart sings. So uh, last night, Sharda used a quote from uh, Manendra, uh, my uh, kind of first. Uh, Vipassana teacher, and uh, it simply was, uh, it's simple, but it's not easy. And we've been kind of exploring this whole uh, dimension uh, of um, you know, looking at, uh, I loved this image, which I used in the poem about uh, that 
uh, point in the circle. And how really uh, our practice here is uh, uh, when we forget, we have to come back somehow to uh, that point, that breath, uh, that body that holds us. Uh, untangles us from the hope and the fear. And then the circle, this inclusion. So we have this uh, possibility of an exclusiveness of uh, just bringing our attention back again and again uh, to this uh, simple contact where the awareness and uh, breath or body is experienced. And then becoming more inclusive, holding more and more. And as we hold more and more, then there's this process that's happening that's really uh, an untangling going on, which is allowing this process of listening, uh, this listening first, kind of the surface of things, to begin to go deeper. And we're at a point where it's beginning to go deeper. And I could really feel that today in the, uh, in just in the groups I had, that uh, there was kind of a settledness in a sense, at least in, in my contact. Uh, that uh, the arriving was happening, you know. Uh, the jet lag, uh, uh, was uh, undoing itself on some level. So tonight, uh, one of the images that came up for me, I usually try to find some uh, something that um, I can work with, and sometimes it's the principal teachings. And uh, But what came up was uh, this image uh, that kept coming in my mind, which was... Uh, uh, a place called Borbador, uh, which is one of the uh, great pilgrimage sites that was, uh, it was once upon a time, the Buddhist world uh, and also the Hindu world uh, went from really what was uh, part of Persia there, the kind of uh, western part of Afghanistan, all the way down uh, through Indonesia. And at that time, uh, they uh, built, like it's still the largest monument, Buddhist monument, uh, in the middle of the island of Java, out in the jungles. It was lost for many centuries because uh, it was this pilgrimage spot from the, they say, from the 8th to the 11th century, people from uh, India and China uh, would go there uh, on uh, these long journeys uh, to, uh, as a uh, process of um, uh, connection. And they say that the, actually the, the kind of the monument there, or stupa or teta, uh, that's the, it's the, actually the largest in the world, uh, which was covered over by um, the jungles uh, as time went on there. Um, that uh, it was uh, very systematic uh, in the sense of the teachings themselves and how uh, I saw how these teachings actually worked. 
And what's interesting ab about it, and, and actually uh, just a little bit more hi history there, uh, because until the 11th century, uh, Indonesia was a, a Buddhist country and uh, many other countries until the kind of Muslim invasion. And then uh, it changed, and the only thing really left is uh, uh, the little island of Bali, which is uh, still Hindu you know, in that area. So here sits this uh, great monument that's now the World Heritage has kind of cleaned up and uh, um, uh, a heritage site, but also a pilgrimage site. And I think the piece that I wanted to kind of describe uh, because I see this whole process somewhat as a pilgrimage process, as arriving here, and then there has to be some uh, untangling that happens, and then there's a journey, uh, which uh, is uh, through the practice itself uh, to uh, uh, some opening or some culmination or some uh, um, deep connection or letting go that has to happen. And the way it is, is there's a, there are three uh, temples. And the first temple uh, where this pilgrimage starts is maybe six or seven kilometers from Borbador itself. And there is uh, a chetti, a, a kind of monument. And inside of it is uh, sitting, uh, is uh, the coming Buddha, uh, Maitreya. And in some part uh, of this, and so I sort of, I, this is my, in my own language, is that when we come to this practice, that we have to start with, in essence, some kind of uh, blind faith. You know, uh, there's always this place where you have to come and there's not the unknown that you have to say, well, I'm going to take this risk, I'm going to take this chance. And we... Uh, have to uh, organize our lives, uh, just like coming to this retreat at this time of year, to uh, come and see what's happening, what's going on. And a lot of times it's not so apparent, it's simply that uh, there may be some inkling or knowledge there or some kind of uh, overt suffering. Uh, some kind of magnetic uh, uh, draw or fundamental uh, understanding that say, says we have to somehow uh, take this uh, risk. And um, a challenge uh, really to me, Maitreya or Maitreya, is to challenge the heart in some way. So we start by having to challenge the heart. And the way this is, it's, I think it's about six kilometers or something where you go from there and there's two rivers you cross. And you come to the second temple and this, the second temple I've sort of named as the temple of the toxins. And it's where you come and you uh, um, give over uh, in essence, your shadow, your darkness, 
No. And that in, there's something in this practice uh, that says this is not about pushing it aside and letting go of it. You know, this is about our willingness in some way to be informed uh, by, uh, in essence, kind of the truth of our, uh, our lives and our actions and our words uh, and uh, the collective and the situation that we're in and uh, our kind of cultural conditioning and family and psychological strengths and weaknesses, you know. And so this third, the second kind of temple there uh, is our willingness uh, to, in essence, kind of own. Uh, sometimes it's, and we could call them the negative emotions, you know, in the sense of fear, in the sense of uh, our anger or jealousy, or uh, our uh, uh, need to control uh, that inner judge or inner critic that uh, seems to always say that somehow uh, this isn't enough or we're not enough or um, it's always somewhere else or someone else's fault. And so there is this whole practice. Uh, we have to cross two rivers, and we have to come to this place and recognize that these are the, these are the toxins that somehow hold us in captivity. And it would be nice to say uh, we could skip that. Uh, but uh, in reality, uh, this is uh, one of the rich places uh, that we are really uh, given some of the tools so that we can actually make it to this to the, the actual temple itself uh, and be able to make it's actually a, uh, they, I believe it's five kilometers something they say that if you do all of the circles to go up um, which there's stories on the inside and the outside, and they even say that, that underneath it there is carvings of the lower realms and goes up, you know, and it's in a spiral as you go. But just to get there, just to get there, you have to somehow have uh, acknowledged and uh, allowed those uh, toxins to uh, be unmasked. This morning, uh, Sharda spoke of uh, the hindrances, and, and really uh, that first night, Gil talked about desire uh, in the sense of the, the, um, uh, the leaning out uh, of here, of always something uh, that we can kind of grasp and hold on to in some way. And the practice is not that uh, it's bad or anything of that nature. It's just that we do that. 
You know, you lean out towards things. That's part of our habit pattern. You know, believing somehow that uh, those pleasant kind of sensations are going to bring you happiness. You know? And we have to sort of play that movie uh, over and over and over and over. And sometimes I think it's easier to, to deal with as far as the toxins go, things like anger or jealousy, or, they're so obvious. You know, but this one is kind of approved by the culture that uh, it's okay. But here in its subtlety, we begin to recognize that somehow um, just this uh, simple uh, uh, longing to kind of hold or capture, imprison. Uh, even the pleasant, uh, if we try to hold it hard enough, uh, it does what? Uh, it turns into its opposite. You know. So it's not that um, we're going to get rid of this stuff. It's actually here as a process of we sit here to, uh, to watch, to investigate, and to study uh, these movements in the circle, you know, uh, of how they operate, how they hold us, and sometimes they take us off into uh, outside uh, with some old memory or story or some wanting that um, uh, seems uh, so real. Uh, this uh, beautiful uh, imagination, you know. Uh, in reality, uh, nothing is happening here. I mean, that's what's true, you know. And so, the, uh, in one other way to look at it is that in studying it, and there's a stirring up of the desire and sometimes the aversive mind, uh, there's uh, kind of our reactions to our sleepiness and our uh, sometimes our um, kind of giving up this kind of sloth. And eventually, you know, there's the kind of restlessness or the old stories that what we know is worry. It kind of, uh, again, grab us, intoxicate us on some level and uh, enchant us. All of it sort of enchants us in some way. And so we get to familiar with it in some ways here and begin to see that we begin to have some choices with it. You know, and that... Uh, the desire itself, you know, when it's put in the face 
of uh, the, the truth of impermanence, uh, the truth that, you know, uh, you're not going to get out of this. You know, this was a one-way ticket. You, uh, you may not have chosen somehow consciously, but you came in, you're here, and it's only going kind of one direction. And um, uh, to look at it is actually a, a kind of very sobering uh, necessity, uh, not for the negative purpose. I know uh, this year I had, a, I had a really, really bad year, you know, where uh, I got, uh, you know, I, it was funny because in 2008 I took this pilgrimage and, and um, I think, and then in the fall, uh, the mountain itself there in Borbador is a representation of what it, they, it, in, the, in the text, they call it Sumeru or Meru, or in its physical form is a mountain in Tibet called Kailash. And uh, as part of this pilgrimage process, was I, had, I, I went there actually with somebody here in the room. <laughs> Uh, 21 of us um, uh, went on uh, a pilgrimage to somehow, again, physically uh, go and uh, touch the kind of the earth magic in some way. But it also says that somehow it's like coming here, uh, there, this is a, a kind of poultice, and it draws the poisons out and uh, has to purify them, you know. And for me, I think that process was, uh, drawing out uh, something that was gonna kick my ass really good, you know? It was gonna take and turn me upside down. And, um, and make me look at this thing called uh, the cat in the hat on aging. Suddenly, mm -hmm. you know, I was uh, 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 now I can say a cancer survivor. But uh, at that time when it all began, it was, uh, you know, the unrealness of, uh, you know, uh, is, this, is this body um, betraying me, or is it teaching me? You know, and so there was this whole question of betrayal or uh, teaching, and sort of getting everything in my emotional life and physical life, everything torn up. You know, and in a way, that's all we're doing here. Is we're here and we're have to look at it, we have to let the pulse just pull out whatever is so. And uh, give us a chance in some ways to then begin a process. And this process uh, is very much the, this um, spiral uh, of the actual uh, jetty or stupa or uh, monument of uh, Borbador. Uh, which is uh, this process of 
um, and it's amazing carvings uh, where you do the circumambulation on there's the inside and the outside to travel it. And I understand even several levels of that that are part of the circumambulation that, that goes on. Uh, that circumambulation, uh, my understanding of it, uh, is this process of point and circle where uh, somehow uh, we begin to, as the kind of toxins in a sense begin to thin out and your body begins to relax here some, some, you know, it still mumbles a lot, of course. And, um, and uh, the heart um, uh, begins to, you know, the armoring around it and the, all the kind of layers that we have built up uh, uh, begin somewhat to begin to thin out some little by little here. And you begin to see how uh, sometimes the thoughts themselves, you know, uh, uh, they are simply that, that you're actually just sitting here in this, uh, you know, this kind of IMAX, uh, uh, watching. sort of, you know, myself, my life in Technicolor, or I guess now was it 3D or something, you know, that uh, is enchanting and absorbing. Uh, but that investigation, that quality of just coming back to the body and the breath and recognizing the nature of the toxins. And this quality, uh, the quality of when we're back at this thing called the simple, and the simple is simply uh, uh, it's outside of time. And you can only uh, recognize it for a moment and then it kind of starts up again. And then you remember. You know, only to forget again. And it gets frustrating in the sense of, well, is it going anywhere? Am I going anywhere? And it's, it's kind of paradoxical because there's one piece of it is that there is uh, this spiral, this circumambulation that's actually happening uh, where we are, uh, in essence, stepping and walking on a path uh, that uh, is well, there's two sides. One, uh, it's revealing Dharma truth uh, in what we're experiencing. Yeah. Um, 
and we are simply letting go of uh, what's appearing almost simultaneously. So one's being informed, and the other's just letting go. Now, if it was just about the toxins, if it was just about the journey, or just the capacity to, to um, for a moment, uh, appear uh, in this uh, awareness. Because the awareness itself, in a way, is quite simple. It's very much like a mirror. And it simply reflects back uh, what's being imprinted there, the face that appears on it in whatever, whether it's grouchy or happy or contorted or beautiful. It's not affected by what's happening. And so the practice is uh, the awareness that, yes, there's a journey that's going on here that's all based in time. It's the relative reality of uh, what Charter was saying last night was the skillful means of working with the practice. There is also, uh, there is also the awareness that mirror itself that is unstained, it cannot be um, there's nothing you or I or anyone can do, right? But because it exists and because it is essentially noticeable, And as the mind itself and the heart, uh, in essence, realize there's no place else to go, then it's simply the fact that we have to turn and realize what we're looking at. uh, Is not due to what's here. No. It's so interesting how uh, we have this collective construction we've made. First of all, just the language itself, you know, the um, end of the Xian Xian Ming that Sharda was uh, reading from last night, the end where, you know, it's just words, you know, these are just words. I'm just talking in words. Uh, what we're doing here is, first of all, uh, our, the way our minds work is we go around constructing our world in words, you know, which gives us ideas and images and all of that, thoughts and memories and hopes and fears. And the practice here is in this untangling is that there is something here that's directly below the language, okay? And we actually, um, 
we can't grasp it. We can only, in essence, kind of, uh, you have to give up, you have to relax into The mirror is not going to do anything, no matter what you do or what you say, what kind of face or what you say. It doesn't care. You know? So it doesn't matter the kind of antics that you do. No. And so the practice is first getting that that's so. You know, in the sense we have to study so carefully how we operate and how we make it up over and over again and how it keeps trapping us and how we keep uh, longing for something else. And somehow the longing for something else that too uh, is just another face in the mirror. And even the, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, I think almost 45 years of seeking, and uh, somewhere you got to give up the seeker, you know, because it's still in a dualistic frame. It still says, oh, there's this and somewhere else. And somehow here, you're going to have to give this up. You know, and I'm not saying you're going to give it up forever because it's a pilgrimage, it's a process. And uh, I do believe it's a spiral process that we actually, we grow in awareness and we grow in the understanding and it gives us more tools. But it's also can't be anywhere else. And your capacity to... Get underneath, you know, and un- underneath it, we're talking about non-struggle. We're talking about something that's about uh, ease, something that's uh, simply about uh, complete relaxation. There's nothing. I can't go any farther than that. There's just nothing. No. So the mind can't do this, right? It can't actually do this. So let's just look for a minute. What's, what's, so what's underneath if we kind of stop the language and uh, uh, we really completely relaxed and uh, allowed ourselves uh, uh, this permission to uh, kind of hold this as, uh, this is all of it, this is enough, this is, everything is here, you know? <coughs> You're not going anywhere. 
So it's so interesting from that perspective uh, how we have trained ourselves with the words uh, in seeing. Uh, we always take and we hold an object and we name that object. You know. And so we're totally trained in this awareness that uh, in its dualistic nature uh, is uh, not holding um, the space that things happen in, but actually the objects. And so there is a retraining that has to happen that is about the mind, that we're going to have to change uh, how uh, we see, how we think, how we hold things. And to do that uh, means that we begin to uh, recognize, first of all, that um, this is a huge room. And the nature of the mind, it goes to all the objects. It doesn't actually recognize the space that this is happening in. And so there's a way that the perception actually has to change in how it holds things. You know? So it begins to, uh, first of all, uh, the mind itself then, uh, in a sense, retreats from the movement too, but actually... Uh, holds itself. So the mind is actually holding itself. So then there's a kind of a vividness or a brightness uh, of uh, the whole. Not one thing. The whole itself. Uh, is in, in, in a, you could say is luminous. You know? And there's a brightness to it because there's a dynamic that's freeing up And the vividness is about the mind doing that. The mind can do that. And it's not singly about that because ultimately uh, we are creatures that uh, we believe we think everything up and all that. But actually, I think, at least from my experience, uh, I can think things, but where do my decisions, where do I actually make my decisions from uh, is somewhere else. And I could say that it's actually my heart. You know? So my heart actually is the one that's moving with things. You know? So that uh, then uh, the heart can again be small, uh, but if this is all the space is here, then it also can be spacious. It can hold all of this and more. So the mind is no longer grabbing thoughts or things that really stays just you know, without making up things about what's happening, but actually uh, 
you could say, sees the, I use the word unfabricated, you know, sees the unfabricated, you know, sometimes in Buddhists they use the word empty or emptiness or, you know, voidness or something that is just a word, but it frees it up, you know. just completely frees it up. And then there's what's happening in the body. Uh, When the mind is freeing things up and the heart is uh, inclusion, it's including everything. What, What happens in the body? Oh, it's okay. No. It's easy. No. Pleasant, unpleasant. It's easy. No. The non-struggle. No. The carvings as you go up towards the top. A lot of the stories of the Buddha, and there's lots of. Uh, different tales from the the stories of the Buddha's past lives and and um, you know great uh, epic tales you know and and uh, kind of celestial and beings of all types as you get higher up you know uh, that. Uh, It gets lighter, you know, kind of works that way, gets lighter. And it's interesting because you get to the top and on the way up there are all these Buddhas and some of them are in these sort of bell-shaped forms and inside you can see there are these Buddhas inside of it. And you get up to the top and they're the bell shape, but there's nothing in them. There's no Buddhas in them. No. You know what? I think I will just leave it there. Let you chew or not chew. You know, it's just big bells. You know, there's nothing in them. Hard, hard year. Quietly listening. The mist in the valley that stillness before the tears of the sky draws inward further and further towards a point within the circle. Noticing the trembling self, jumping from ideas, thoughts, images, deliberating on, quote, my way or the highway, unquote, always enforcing the becoming 
some fabulous view of this thing called, quote, myself. Letting life get smaller and smaller, tighter and tighter. Oops. Forgetting, forgetting the rain and the way the hawk flaps its wings without moving above our valley. Knowing its eyes were holding everything. Awake. Returning to the breath, leaving all this hope and fear and past and future to sit in the echoes of this, this unfabricated. I knew we could arrive, no longer pushing for a future, no longer mingling in a past, no longer clutching to things undone and even done, but resting, remembering to sit like an ocean, unmoved by its waves, thoughts, body mumbles, heart throbs, all this in circle included the meditation hall full of meditators was completely empty. Heart sings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.